There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash forward. How do you define greatness, fame, power, award-winning skill as an actor or athlete? Jesus has a very different definition of greatness, as Dr. David Jeremiah shares today on Turning Point. The kind of greatness defined and demonstrated by Jesus is in short supply in today's world. But with his help, you can achieve it. From In Search of the Savior, here's David to introduce his message, Who is the Greatest? Well, you know, if you were to ask that question today in the environment of our um, business culture, you would find someone describing greatness as moving to the top, um, taking control, amassing fortunes, accomplishing great things. But Jesus had a different perspective. Jesus actually one time said this. He said uh, that the way up is the way down. If you want to be great in my eyes, you have to be a servant. Servant leadership actually is, is rooted in the Scripture. It's become sort of a popular discussion these days because in the business world, um, in the popular um, motivational world, servant leadership uh, comes up. Uh, hardly ever gets attributed to Jesus, but that's where it started. Jesus is the one who said that if you, uh, you want to be first, you've got to be last. And we're going to learn about that as we talk about who is the greatest today on Turning Point. So before we get there, let me tell you about our resource for the month of November. Near the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus challenged his followers to search the scriptures, for they testify of me. What he was saying when he said that was, I'm in all of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, every book. Most people don't believe that, but O.S. Hawkins does. And he's written a book called The Bible Code, Finding Jesus in Every Book in the Bible. And he goes through every book, Old and New Testament, and he shows us where Jesus shows up. Now, that's easier to do in the Gospels and in the New Testament. But when you're talking about uh, Old Testament books like Amos and Haggai and some of those books, it's not as easy, but he shows us where it is. He will find for you the picture of Jesus in all the books of the Bible. And it's all detailed in this beautiful leather-covered gift book called The Bible Code. When you get this, you'll start reading it, and you won't be able to put it down because you'll want to find out what's next in the next book, and you'll be so surprised at the many places where Jesus shows up. And I want you to have this as your very own, and you can get a copy of it by doing one simple thing. Just make a gift to Turning Point during the month of November. I'm not going to tell you how much it should be. I would only ask you to do the best you can, but for whatever size your gift, just simply ask for the book the Bible code, and we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for investing in this ministry. Now let's get started with part one of Who is the Greatest? I have a little story to tell you. Today we're going to talk about the power of service, and I thought I would just begin with this story. A woman took her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor said, your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. Well, the husband was hard of hearing, and he said, what did he say? 
And his wife said, he says, you're sick. And the doctor went on, but there's some hope. And he said, ma'am, I just need to help you understand what you can do for your husband. You need to reduce his stress. Each morning, give him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant and nice and kind. And for lunch and dinner, make him his favorite meal. And don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Don't yell at him. Don't argue with him. And most importantly, just cater to your husband's every whim. And if you do that, your husband, for the next six months to a year, if you do that during that period of time, I think your husband has an opportunity for complete recovery. And the husband said, what did he say? And she said, he said, you're going to die. (laughs) Some people will do anything to avoid serving, won't they? (laughs) As we've studied the book of Mark, we have learned together that one of the hardest things for any of us to face are the shortcomings or flaws in our lives. I think maybe it's been a shock to all of us, and even to me somewhat, having studied this many times before, that the disciples were far from perfect people. Oftentimes we think, oh, he's a disciple. He must have it all together. And we even think about that today. Oh, he's a disciple, which means he's closer to God. He's got it together. Well, how many of you have discovered with us so far the disciples don't have it all together? They're facing one flaw after another. At one place, it's their lack of prayer. Remember, they couldn't cast out a demon and they couldn't figure it out. And Jesus said, well, you can't figure it out because this kind of demon only comes out through prayer. They couldn't figure out what to do with their fear. And they just seemed to be so dull of hearing when it came to the things Jesus was trying to communicate to them. And this particular story that is in the progress of his journey to the cross is told not only by Mark, but it's also in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. As Mark tells this story, he shows us how Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And I'd like to tell the story sort of in the same vein in which I see the Lord Jesus walking through this with his men. There are four characteristics of this. First, there's some information. Then there's an interrogation. And then there's some instruction, and Jesus finishes with an illustration. So with our Bibles open to Mark in the ninth chapter, we begin our reading today at the 30th verse with some information. The Bible says, They departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Jesus and his disciples have gone now from the northern part of Israel, and they're going through Galilee, and Jesus is determined that he's going to reach his destination, which is Jerusalem, and ultimately his destination, which is the cross. And the Bible says that he didn't want anybody to know where he was going, and we don't know why he doesn't want anybody to know until we read the next verse. Verse 31 says, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Jesus didn't want to be interrupted in his opportunity to mentor his disciples and tell them what was going to happen in a few days because he is going to the cross, he's going to be buried and resurrected, and the disciples, if they don't get this information, are going to be caught off guard. So Jesus didn't want anybody to know where he was going because he wanted uninterrupted time to teach his disciples. Now, Mark often portrays Jesus as a teacher. You see this throughout the entire gospel. But most often, he doesn't tell us what Jesus is teaching. In this text, he tells us what the subject was of their discussion as they moved along the way that day. 
Jesus is teaching about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the subject matter. He's trying to explain to his disciples that though they wanted a king with a crown, they got a king with a cross, and their king was headed toward the cross, and they needed to be prepared for it. And this is the second of three times that Jesus actually explains this. In the book of Mark, I won't read them, but one is in the 31st verse of Mark 8 and in the 33rd verse of Mark 10. Jesus is telling his disciples what is to happen. Every once in a while, I run into somebody who talks about the crucifixion as if Jesus was taken off guard. They got him without his notice, and they swiftly moved him to Calvary and killed him without his permission. What a silly thing for anybody to say, especially anybody who purports to have read the Bible, because throughout this journey with his disciples, the Lord Jesus is gradually unfolding the plan of redemption for them so that they have no reason not to know. They understood. Jesus wasn't taken by surprise. Jesus knew that he was born to die. He came not to be ministered under, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now he's coaching his disciples ahead of time so that they will know what to do. Now, it's interesting that as he goes along the way and he's teaching them, obviously the disciples are also having their own discussion. They were talking about something that they shouldn't have been talking about. And as Jesus is involving himself with them and explaining to them what's going to happen to him, he overhears them having a discussion. Now, let's notice after the information, the interrogation, Jesus questioning his disciples, verse 33. The Bible says that when they came to Capernaum and they stopped over there, obviously they were going to stop in the house of Peter where they had their headquarters up until this time. Jesus brought his disciples into the house and he asked them a question. He says, If I were to put it in the language today, he probably said, what were you guys talking about on the road as we got here? Now, you have to get this picture in your mind because this is kind of what happened. Jesus is walking along the road, and his disciples are walking apart from him, probably in front of him. And as Jesus is walking along the road, and he's been teaching them about his coming death, burial, and resurrection, mostly after that, He notices that the disciples are in a discussion. Literally, the word is pretty strong. It means they were arguing with one another. And as they walked along the road, Jesus could see them in this intense argument, the disciples arguing with one another. And when they get to Capernaum and they go into Peter's house, Jesus gets them in a circle and he says, what were you guys talking about on the road? Now, I don't think Jesus was in doubt about what they were talking about. He knew what they were talking about, but he was trying to draw them out. He said, tell me what you were talking about. Now, notice the questioning of Jesus is met by the quietness of the disciples. And they kept silent. They wouldn't answer his question. For on the road, they had been disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. How embarrassing. Jesus is telling them about his death And they're arguing with each other about who gets to be the greatest. Now, a couple of things are going on here. Obviously, they still haven't figured out the difference between a king with a cross and a king with a crown because their greatness was all about hopefully serving in the kingdom with the Lord in a place of prominence. And somehow, Jesus' teaching about suffering and death 
got them into this debate over who was going to be the greatest. In fact, I've noticed in the New Testament that quite often when Jesus talks about his death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples talk about who's going to be the greatest. So Jesus asks them, what were you talking about? And obviously, they didn't want to answer that question. They would not answer because they were ashamed. And should they not have been ashamed for doing that on that particular day in that particular situation? The Bible says they were arguing about greatness. And it wasn't about being great as a disciple. It was about greatness, in essence, who's the most important among the disciples. And I can just hear Peter say, oh, I was standing closest to him when he transfigured on the mountain. It has to be me. And John probably said, well, you know what he calls me. I'm the disciple Jesus loved, you know. And each of them probably had their own argument about who was the greatest. And they were comparing and ranking their accomplishments, their skills, and their gifts. And they weren't talking so much about greatness in the kingdom of God as they were just talking about who was the greatest man among them. In just a few chapters, we will learn that James and John and their mother have a similar discussion where she wants to promote her boys so that they get a place of prominence in the kingdom. You can read about that in Mark chapter 10. We'll get to it later. And later on, just before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples are in the room and they're arguing with one another again over who is the greatest in the kingdom and Jesus Christ walked into the room knowing what they had been talking about the Bible tells us in John chapter 13 that he took off his outer garment and he donned the clothing of a servant and he got down on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples whoa he talks about his death burial and resurrection they talk about who's the greatest they talk about who's the greatest, he washes their feet. And Jesus is then going to explain to them why what they're talking about is so absurd and off base. From the information, we have the interrogation and now the instruction. Notice verse 35. And Jesus sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, doesn't that sound like a disconnect? How do you get to be first by being last? Jesus does not tell his disciples to cease trying to be great. Instead, he redefines the meaning of greatness. He doesn't implore us to stop pursuing greatness. He demands that we pursue a specific form of greatness. He is encouraging us to desire, to pursue, to crave a certain kind of greatness that serves all. This is Jesus' definition of greatness. And of course, it's not an isolated thing in the text. I remember going through the scripture and being reminded of how many times this principle is recorded in the Bible. It's almost like Jesus wants to make sure we don't forget this. This is not only the key to what it means to follow the Lord, but as you're going to see in a moment, it may be one of the missing ingredients in our culture today. So let me just run through these scriptures quickly. If I were you and I'm taking notes, just write down the address and you can look them up and fill them in later. But here's just a sampling of where this is in the Bible. Matthew 20, 16, so the last will be first, and the first last, many are called, few are chosen. Matthew 20, 26 and 27, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. 
And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Matthew 23, 11, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Mark 10, 43 and 44, you shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Luke 9, 48, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Luke 13, 30, and indeed there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Luke twenty two twenty six. but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. That's a sampling. That's not all. That's a sampling of the many times when Jesus taught this core basic principle of the Christian life. And yet, isn't it interesting? We hear almost nothing about it in our culture today. Most people are quite surprised when they hear this, that the principles of leadership for believers is exactly the opposite of that for those who live in the culture. The basic concept of serving is found over 300 times in the New Testament, 130 times in the Gospels, and 170 times in the Epistles. So the Lord did not save us to be sensations. He saved us to be servants. And he's giving us this principle so we will know how to function, not only in the church but in our culture, so that we can know the joy of Christ-likeness. Here's the difference between what Jesus is saying here and where most people are in their understanding of leadership today. Let's just start with the triangle. If you start out in the business world today, men, women, graduate from college, maybe grad school, you get a degree, you're ready to go, you enter into the company at the lower level. Nobody starts up here, you start down here, and at the lower level of your company are the most people. There are more people down here on this level than any place else, the entry level. If you stay there and you progress in your career, little by little, you move up. And at every level where you move up, there are fewer people. The next level, fewer people. And all of a sudden, if you work hard and you know the boss's family, you get to the top. <laughs> Amen? You get to the top. And all of a sudden, you're at the top of the triangle. And then you hear people say, it's such a good thing to be able to serve under him. That's what we say, isn't it, in the world today? I serve under, in the military, I serve under we serve under people. That's the way the world views leadership. With the triangle and the one at the top, at the pinnacle, looks out at his world and he makes this observation. Look at all the people who are serving me. And Jesus says, well, that's all right if you want to live that way in your culture, but that's not my way. Jesus says, you have to turn the triangle upside down. <laughs> Jesus says, he who will be the greatest among you, let him be the least. That doesn't mean the least in dignity, the least in popularity, the least in ability. It means you understand that in the biblical sense of leadership, it's not how many people are serving you, it's how many people you are serving. That is servant leadership. That's biblical leadership. That's Jesus' kind of leadership. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't ask the question, how many people are serving me? Ask the question, how many people has Almighty God allowed me to serve? And we began to understand the joy of serving as we began to institute this principle in our lives.
Greatness is waiting on believers in the form of common and simple tasks. The more common and humble the task, the greater the deed. So Jesus said in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, I am among you as one who serves. Now please notice that Jesus is not teaching this principle in classroom. He's teaching it on a road. And where's that road taking him, you guys? It's taking him to Jerusalem. It's taking him to the cross. Jesus is walking out the lesson that he's teaching his disciples. He said, I did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. What is he doing? He's walking toward Jerusalem. He's walking toward the cross. He's saying by his attitude, I'm not going to stay here and be your king with a crown because I understand that before I can be your king with a crown, I have to be your king with a cross. And in his servant attitude, he's giving himself up. The Bible says he gave himself up for us so that we might be saved. That's what service is. And Jesus is living it out as he's teaching it to his disciples. Every one of us who are parents, every one of us, as we teach our children and our friends about humble service, we should never do it without living it out ourselves, and we should never separate it from the teaching of our Lord. As we teach others about humble service, we should also be modeling it in practicality and tangibly before them. I read a lot of commentaries to prepare these messages, and one of the best historic writers for New Testament literature is a man by the name of William Barclay. It's a bunch of little tiny commentaries, and you have to have good eyes to read his work. But he has a paragraph about this that I think we will all find very interesting today as we look out on a broken world that seems to be getting more broken every day. Listen to what he wrote. Every economic problem would be solved if men lived for what they could do for others and not what they could get for themselves. Every political problem would be solved if the ambition of men was only to serve others and not to enhance their own prestige. Can you imagine, my friends, what would happen if Washington could get a hold of that? If they would really understand that we elected them to serve us, instead of serve their own political ambition? The divisions he wrote and the disputes which tear the church apart would be for the most part never happening if the only desire of the church was to serve the church and not to care in what position as long as the service was given. Gone would be the phrase, I don't go there because I don't get my needs met. We would be so busy meeting everybody else's needs, we wouldn't have time to calculate that ourselves. When Jesus spoke of the supreme greatness and value of the man whose ambition was to be a servant, he laid down, said Barclay, one of the greatest practical truths in the world. Dwight O. Moody once said, the measure of a great man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. There's the instruction. If you want to be great, the question you have to ask is, who am I serving? Let me tell you that that's a principle that would work even if you weren't a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to put this principle in operation. There's a whole genre of literature now called servant leadership that's growing up in the business world. Everybody's beginning to understand that this works. You know why it works? Because all truth is God's truth. If it came from the Bible, even people who are trying to use it who don't know God will find that it works. How do we serve one another? Jesus says, if you want to be great, 
You have to learn to serve. For greatness in the kingdom is not where you stand on the hierarchy, but it's where you stand in serving other people. And we'll have more about that tomorrow as we come to the Friday edition of Turning Point. We're looking at uh, Mark chapter 9. This is a part of the series we've called In Search of the Savior. It's part three of the exposition of the book of Mark. These are some great passages, friends, and I'm glad that you joined me uh, as we study together about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Tomorrow on the Friday edition, Who is the Greatest? Part 2. Don't forget you can get a copy of the book, The Bible Code, Finding Jesus in Every Book in the Bible. It's available to you from Turning Point for a gift of any size. All you have to do is let us know that you want the book. When you send your gift, say, please send me the Bible code, and we'll do it. We have them here, ready to be shipped. Soon as we hear from you, we'll get after it and send them to you so you get it right away as soon as you possibly can. Also want you to know that Turning Point is involved in a magazine. We publish a magazine every month. It's called Turning Point's Magazine and Devotional. It's a beautiful thing because it coordinates with what we're doing on the radio and on television and gives you some background, and there are devotionals for you to use every day, Monday through Friday, and for the weekend. Find out about it when you go to our website, davidjeremiah.org. And be sure to join us tomorrow right here on this good station for the next edition of Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, In Search of the Savior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' new book, The Bible Code, Finding Jesus in Every Book in the Bible. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard Version, the New International Version, and the New King James Version, filled with helpful notes and articles by Dr. Jeremiah. Visit davidjeremiah.org radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series In Search of the Savior, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. 
The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. It's time to move beyond the regrets of yesterday and the problems of today and instead discover that your best days are ahead. Don't miss David Jeremiah's It's Time to Move Forward online special. Dr. Jeremiah is joined by Sheila Walsh, Levi Lusco, and Anthony Evans as they share a message of hope for today. Hope to see the future with great expectation, to stand firm in the promises of God, and to move forward no matter your circumstances. Available to watch right now at davidjeremiah.org.